Acts uh, is very, I think, symbolic of the Exodus. And scholars have seen the connection between the first book and, the, and uh, Genesis, the second book and Exodus, because this particular section deals a great deal with many problems, many enemies, many needs, a feeling of helplessness, which Israel certainly felt in Exodus and which Christ felt as he was being persecuted and leading to his death. And indeed, Exodus, if you go through the rest of the Bible thereafter, in any phase of Israel's history, it seems that there is a great deal of mention of the Exodus. It doesn't matter whether it's the prophecies later or whether it's in the New Testament. There are many, many references back to that period of time and that phase of Israel's history. And the reason for that is <clears throat> that it was something that God did and put them through 430 years in the land of Mitzrayim before he began the deliverance. I sometimes have wondered about, well, why did that take so long from the time they went down and eventually wound up as slaves and had to stay there all that long period of time, actually many generations, 430 years. And I think that a meaning can be attached to that in that the history of mankind from Adam and Eve on down until today, and then the immediate, and I do mean immediate future, has been difficulty, trial, trouble, uh, needs, wants, frustrations, and no human being has been apart from those. And Christ himself, it says, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, that he wept. He often went up to pray because of the sin, the wretchedness, the frustrations of people around him, and he was trying to serve God and yet it seemed that there was an array of enemies always at his door or in his face, whether it be the scribes, the Pharisees, or others. So he had a life of trials, troubles, and tribulations throughout. Even as a child, he was decried as being illegitimate. And that stuck with him throughout his life on the face of the earth. In our culture today, illegitimacy has lost its meaning uh, Fifty years ago, it was still uh, looked upon as a great tragedy and sin. Today, there's an abundance of that type of thing going on, and no one really thinks too much of it anymore. That's sad in itself. But as we got into chapter 53, we got down and focused on verse 3, that there is none that does good, no, not one. But human nature is such that we all have downward pulls. We have the flesh always that we have to fight. Uh, we have depression, frustration, disgust, sin, temptation, anything you want to name that we have to face. And we always have the culture around us. And I think as I pointed out as well, there in Ephesians 5, we have 
another fight with the principalities and powers of the prince of the power of the air of Satan, and are told there to take on the whole armor of God, the faith, the hope, uh, the things that we need, the word, the sword of God, his word, and so on and so forth. And I am rehearsing that a little bit right now, and I think that it is timely that we're in this section of the Psalms, because this little community, this little group, this little church of God's people is facing a, I guess you would say, crisis at the moment. I think all of us grasp and believe that God led us here and even led us to this place that we live upon, that He had His name upon it and brought us here for His purposes. And we have with us one that you know has had some very severe health issues in the last few months and a senility or a dementia beginning to take hold that has gotten worse and worse, particularly in the last few weeks. And one of our little ones is in trouble. Now, this one that I speak of has been faithful and true for decades in God's church. She is one of the ones I would say is a true believer, has been of the things that we espouse, teach, and the focus and angle and understanding that we have of the Scriptures for today and for the church and for each of us individually in this time. And it is interesting that as we get nearer the end of this age, Satan is going to fight more and more those who do seek to obey God. And it will reach the climax of that when Satan is cast down from the last time from heaven and immediately goes to persecute the church, at which time the church must flee for its very life or be physically destroyed. We have known that for many, many years. Now, I feel from the events of the last few weeks that we should have a church fast called, and I'm going to call on us to fast next Sabbath and to pray diligently that God deliver. As you know, the, the person I speak of, and they're probably listening now, so I, I'm keeping this vague, but began to have some loss of memory and so on, and uh, it began to get worse and worse. She was in the hospital being checked on for some things, and then went into a rehab center for a few weeks. Now, somewhere along the line, we have to understand that Satan is always there seeking as a raging lion whom he may devour. And I have noticed over the decades, and I think certainly within the Scriptures, it can be shown as well that any time someone has a debility, a lack of control of their mind, that Satan can influence them more. And I think I even said last week 
that Satan influences all of us to one degree or another. If we are of strong mind and if we are close to God, then he has less opportunity to influence us. But many of the evil or wrong thoughts that we might have, negative thoughts, uh, accusative thoughts toward each other, can have their source in Satan's influence. Herbert Armstrong used to talk about how he has an aura, a spirit, if you will, that can affect human minds. So the culture around us is bad, and he certainly has a very, very deep influence in all the music, in all the morals and mores of a society, and we see it breaking down before our very eyes as Satan's control gets stronger and stronger. So we have to be very aware, knowing he is a raging lion going about to devour, and that he can influence any and all of us, and to one degree or another, does. When we speak of demon influence, we like to think of someone who is more heavily influenced to the point that it is so obvious, and yet there is an influence there that affects every one of us daily. And that is why before the millennium can be set up, before Christ can rule in peace, Satan has to be bound a thousand years. And immediately, upon his release, at the end of the thousand years, he goes out to deceive again, and almost immediately is able to heavily influence millions of minds that have not known Satan for a thousand years. He has an incredible power. Now let's keep that in mind as we face this situation with one that I feel not only is affected with dementia at this point, but Satan is able to influence because of the lack of the individual's capacity to control her own mind. And recently, in a lucid moment, she said, I can't fight them. They're too strong. So she needs help. Now, somebody asked me, two or three weeks ago, what are we supposed to be learning from this? Why has this happened? And I want to, I've thought about that quite a bit, and the situation has deteriorated over the last couple of weeks to the point of violence and bad language and quite a few different uh, aspects that are troubling, unsettling, frustrating, and if you take them personally, just downright discouraging. We have many physical afflictions here. We have many growing older who have all kinds of afflictions. And we have young people with serious diseases. And you know, we have felt, well, God is going to heal someday. And we've seen many, many scriptures. I won't go back there today. But we've seen many scriptures which indicate that at some point God is going to heal We've used those scriptures in the prophets about how he will give us deer legs and wings of an eagle and so on, using metaphor of good health and strength and ability to rise up and do his work. And we know that Christ said that this generation will not pass until all these prophecies are fulfilled. 
Haggai says there will be old men who could compare the glory of the former under Herbert Armstrong with the latter temple, which is to be erected soon, both in church and perhaps even physically. So, we are at this critical juncture, and we still backbite, we still accuse, we still play into Satan's hands, we still do not interact completely as a family as we ought to do. And this goes on and on, year after year, and people make comments about, well, why are we like this? Why don't we show more love? God has told us very clearly, I think Jeremiah 31, that, or 33, whichever it is, that when we turn to Him with our whole heart, He will turn His face back to us, and He will begin to bless us. Now, obviously, we have not accomplished that as yet. The time is not quite right. And I'm leading to a point here. We have put up with physical infirmities. We have put up with financial difficulties. We've put up with a lot of things. And yet we still have spiritual lacks and needs. We still judge one another. We still put each other down. We still do not show the kind of love of God and of His Son. We are not willing to lay our lives down completely for each other. We have reservations. We have those that we might exclude. We have different and varying attitudes. Now, I'm not trying to dress us down. I'm just saying that this is the human state, and we find ourselves still in the captivity of our backgrounds, our pasts, our previous beliefs, of the culture around us, and of the prince of the power of the air. We are still very human, and we're dealing with these things, and we're struggling to overcome, to grow, to be different. And it seems the more we stress that we have to live up to the standard of God, we realize we fall short, and we realize others fall short, and then it is easy to point the finger at others rather than looking at ourselves. And therefore, we backbite and talk behind each other's backs, and no man can control the tongue completely. If we were or could, we would be a perfect man, as James points out. But, when you have a situation like we are facing at this time, it is beyond our ability as human beings to control it, We, without God's help, are helpless. That's just the state of things. Satan, his demons, are far more powerful than we are. And with our little one who is in trouble at the moment, many, many have rallied and sacrificed their time, their energy, to try to help care for, to sit with, to comfort, to strengthen, to protect the one suffering the difficulties. We are praying perhaps more fervently than we have been in the past because of the severity of the situation. 
even in the opening prayer today, I could feel reflected the thoughts of one who had just been attacked physically about 20 minutes, 15 before coming over here, verbally. And it's happening to any who are around. So when you face an issue like this, perhaps it is something that God has allowed to happen on this place at this time to show us, to teach us, to help us, to be what we need to be. Turning to God with our whole heart is a very, very difficult thing to do. It is hard to know exactly even what it means with our backgrounds and our human nature and everything that makes up a human being. So perhaps God has to put something before us that is beyond what we normally face, something to help us to rally and to love one another and pull together to help rather than to accuse and pull apart as we sometimes tend to do. Now, I'm not saying we're any worse in that sense than anybody else. We're human. But we do have a lot of understanding of what's going on right now in the church and in the world. And the overweening attitude in the last days of the church before God begins the true construction of the latter temple is one of apathy and neglect, of taking it for granted, whatever. And we see it in our nation even as we are being taken over by people who want to rule the world. That's all in the Bible. The story is there about a new world order that is to come and will indeed set up what they call their millennium or their peace on earth. And I just read an article which said that an independent group of people in the press worldwide who have an association of some type. I didn't pay much attention, but they said that America has, was it the 27th or the 47th? Somebody else may have read that. One of those two numbers. Freest press on earth. Now, we have always talked about our freedom of speech and our freedom of the press. But this independent group, who is not controlled by American corporations, have said that it's hard to get truth published in America. That there are either 27 or 47 countries that it's easier to produce the copy you want to produce than it is here. It is controlled so tightly that it will simply not be aired or printed. And America is apathetic. So even as the church has been, the nation also is. And even as the church has been scattered by God for an apathetic approach, so the nation is about to be taken into captivity and already is to a great degree. Like the frog in the hot water. It's almost done and we don't even know it's coming yet as a whole. So the end 
of our culture is upon us. It is not a time, then, to be apathetic, to be lukewarm, to be indulging in the attitudes that we have allowed ourselves to have and to drift on with. This is getting down to very serious. This is getting down to the point where God is going to have to make some choices as to whether he is to use us as part of his latter temple or not. And if we cannot show, truly, the love of God to each other and put aside petty grievances and attitudes and accusations and love everybody with God's love, not human affection or emotion only, but with God's love, then what use are we? Because we are to be an example of peace, a light, a city set on a hill, to the whole world and the whole new world order, that God is God and the people can live according to His ways and His laws in peace together. You and I are being called upon to be a part of that. Now, Satan has been allowed, I believe at this point, to encroach upon this property that God gave us. I don't know where those came from initially, perhaps from the rehab or nursing center, because demons do hang around those places. They tend to gather there, because there are people whose minds are becoming weak, who can no longer control all their faculties, and as a result, they're easy prey for Satan and his demons. And that may have occurred when this individual was in one of those places because it became more and more obvious from the time she was there until now and the influence has been getting stronger since. We are in slavery, brethren, even as ancient Israel was in the land of Ham. We're under the slavery and the tyranny of Satan's world that he rules and the cultures that abound with it. This is modern Babylon or modern Egypt. This is the time when Satan's influence is as great as it has ever been. And we must be aware and we must turn to God with all our hearts to resolve the issues that we have and that which has been set before us. So what are we to learn from this? I think that there are definitely some possibilities here. That God might use such a situation as this to help us come to grips with some of our attitudes and our approaches and the issue of God's true love. And that we might pull together to become united as a body, as God has told us in many places, including, of course, 1 Corinthians 12, that we must be. It has to become that way. And whatever attitudes and grudges and whatever we may have, we must forgive and show mercy 
and move forward from those attitudes. Now, I've been preaching that on and on for over 15 years now. And yet we still have our difficulties because we're human. But God is entering, and we, along with Him, an extraordinary period of time on this earth. The climax of the ages. The last time of Israel's captivity. The last time of the captivity of the church in Babylon. And He asks us to come out of the cities and dwell in the field and to get away from it as best we can. And ultimately, he is going to have to provide a deliverance such as man has never known to protect us from Satan and his emissaries as human beings on this earth. So perhaps we are getting a small sample of that at the moment. And we need to rally to God and rally to each other and help our own little one who is in trouble. And that's why I call for a fast. Because a fast is designed to help draw us close to God, to help us put aside our selfishness, our vanities, our egos, to share our lives, our bread, everything as Isaiah 58 brings out with others who have need. It is a tool to draw us close to God so that He might hear our plea more audibly, more loudly, and pay more attention to it. Israel cried out and murmured in prayer to they knew not what God even in Egypt. And God showed them who the true God was. And He delivered them. And he delivered Abraham, and he delivered Daniel, and he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he delivered the apostles until it was time for them to die, and then they were allowed to die as Christ had told them. And he is here to deliver us, and to bring us to Zion, to the place of refuge, in good time, after we have done the work that he has set before us. So maybe we're getting down to brass tacks and serious. This could have happened to someone different. It would have, could have happened to someone who was in a rebellious attitude, someone who was disobedient. But it didn't. I find it very interesting that it happened to one who has been as faithful and true as anybody I know and has believed as much as anyone else what we believe in our teaching. And understood the scriptures. And now that mind is being drug away from that in its weakness. Why would God allow that to one so faithful and so strong, who has set such a fine example in so many ways, unless there were a bigger purpose in allowing? And we may be part of that purpose and our approach and our attitudes. So I think it fitting in a way that maybe God led us to this particular study and this particular of the Psalms just as this thing has come to a head and become a crisis 
and a very extreme difficulty in handling. I know what they do in the nursing homes. They just drug them up so the mind can't work and they're just a vegetable. I don't want to go there. I do not want to do that. This is one of our own. She's our family. She's our sister, our mother, our grandmother. She's one of us. And I do appreciate very deeply all of you who are through food, through prayer, through cards, through being able to sit with. And I know everyone cannot do that because of age and personal situations and uh, employment and various other things. But there are many, many ways to help. And if I am at all right in what I'm saying today, then one of the biggest helps would be that each and every last one of us here be convicted to the point of deep prayer, of fasting, of solicitude to God, of pleading with Him and giving Him no rest, turning with our whole hearts to our Heavenly Father and His Son, and enlisting their help, their strength, their perception, their power, their spirit, to help us fight off the prince of the power of the air and human nature and all the problems that we have and turn to him with our whole hearts. If we're successful in doing that, things will get better for us in every way because God has said so. So the challenge really is to us. It's easy perhaps to question God and say, well, why don't you heal and why don't you deliver? But always, he has said that the ball is in our court. We are the contingency. He is always able to do his part, but mankind has always failed throughout history over and over to do their part. With some notable exceptions listed in the book of Hebrews and other places of those who truly sought and worshipped God and put Him above everything else. There have not been many. And perhaps, when all this is said and done, only 144,000 will have measured up out of the billions that have lived on the face of this earth. Because that's what it's all about right now is the bride of Christ coming together to help Him rule the rest of the world and the millennium and the great white throne judgment when all those billions will then have their opportunity. And He has only opened the minds of a few at this point. And yours and mine are some of them. We should turn to God with utter thanks at the opportunity at the possibilities, at the calling He has given us, and rise above our own human pettiness, selfishness, greed, envy, jealousy, and the works of the flesh to serve God with our whole hearts. All our heart, mind, body, and soul, as He puts it. That does not come easy. It is not natural.
It takes work. It takes fasting. It takes prayer. It takes dedication and commitment. And that's why I call upon us all to fast and to pray and to seek God above all. And pray for His mercy, His help to deliver in time of need. So I think it's only good that we set aside next Sabbath for a fast. Not only for one, but for all of us, that we become what we need to be and produce the fruit of the Spirit that we need to produce. And rally together as loving brothers and sisters and potential part, parts of the Bride of Emmanuel to come. So with that introduction, or sermon in itself, let's get back and consider some of these psalms. I want to move along somewhat today with the time I have left to see that what we have just been talking about is indeed within the context of, of where we are. Now God has His ways of putting these things together at the right time in the right way to help cement them in our minds and bring to our attention what we need to know and do. And I believe that. I pray about it regularly, that God will lead my mind and guide me to be in the right place at the right time with the right thought, doing the right thing that He wants done. Because often by myself, I will be in the wrong place, thinking the wrong thing at the wrong time as a human being. So that is a constant prayer of mine. And indeed, I do believe he hears. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Chapter 53. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that does good. That's the world we look upon around us. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God just as in the days of Noah. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that does good, no, not one. And the best person working, walking the face of the earth today is not good by nature or by thought or by deed. We do some things good. We have some good thoughts. But by and large, with humanity, we do not meet what we need to be to become as the Father and the Son. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. You have this whole iniquitous world around us, and you have a few who are struggling to serve God. Those around have not called upon God, and they just eat us up so easily. It's so easy to give in to the ways and the thoughts of this world. There were they in great fear, where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him that encamps against you. You have put them to shame, because God has despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when God brings back or returns the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. So it is a 
statement of the plight that we find ourselves in here at the end time, and a statement of prophecy that God is indeed going to deliver Israel out of Zion. It's a place he is coming back to dwell in. It is the place of safety of the Bible, the refuge. We'll get into that some in the future, as we have in the past, but I don't have time for it today. In the meantime, here we are in a wicked world with deliverance to come. And part of that deliverance is based upon how we respond to God. Chapter 54, save me, O God, by your name and judge me by your strength. One of the hymns we sing. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. When we fast, when we pray, is this not the prayer we're praying? Is that what I've been urging us so far in this sermon to do? See how it's right here. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me. And oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Think about this. We have enemies seen and unseen. Unseen princes of the power of the air. And even those humans, which are going to be our enemies, we do not yet see yet before our face. But it isn't long until this will happen as well. Behold, God is my helper. The eternal is with them that uphold my soul. We seek God and we uphold one another. That's what we must be doing. Not tearing down, not backstabbing, not backbiting, not accusing each other, but upholding one another. He shall reward evil to my enemies. Cut them off in your truth. He speaks of his word, his truth, as the two-edged sword. It will cut, it says, to the bones, the tendon, the marrow, the truth of God. And there are very few people on earth who have the truth of God. And that is the sword, the only sword we have to use. The only offensive weapon in Ephesians 5 is the sword of truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Eternal, for it is good. So he says, we have trouble, we have enemies, but we will sacrifice to God. And and Christ said very clearly that our sacrifice to each other is how he determines the quality of our sacrifice to him. That's the way we will be judged. I will praise your name, O Eternal, for it is good, for he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. Again, that had not occurred in David's life. It was something that he was hoping for, and that is a prophetic statement, because with you and me, that deliverance has not yet occurred. Now, it has occurred in times past, in different phases of Israel's history, as an example for you and for me, that if we turn to God, He will save us. So we have the encouragement of history. We can look back and see how He delivered Israel, how He delivered various ones when a time of trouble hit. 
Verse chapter 55, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my supplication. He says he's turned his face from us, his ear was not here, and he tells us to give him no rest and to cry out and to plead until he turns back to us. That's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other prophecies. Attend to me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Now that indicates that God wasn't just automatically hearing everything that the psalmist prayed about, right? He was having difficulty getting his life and his... uh, The word escapes me, I'm getting old. uh, His relationship with God right. It did not come automatically. It did not come easily for any human being. I mourn in my complaint and cry out or make a noise. Sobbing, perhaps, crying. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. We don't like it when people are upset with us. We don't enjoy being put down, demeaned, condescended to. We like to be liked, loved, encouraged, strengthened. Smiled at. It hurts when we have to go through these emotions. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Keep in mind David and his repentance. Keep in mind Christ and the death that he had to go through. Some of these things are more about Christ than they were about David. David died in his own bed at age 70. Even after all the warfare that he did, God allowed him to die in peace. Not Christ. So, David may be metaphorically involved in some of these, and he certainly faced trouble as we do. But Christ was the ultimate fulfillment of all these things. And now we have them coming upon us. And did he not tell the disciples that everything that I go through, you will have to go through also? Even the leaders at the end time will be killed, even as Christ was. So, this generation does not escape any more than it has in the past. Five, fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes just to fly away from all the troubles and difficulties and frustrations that we as human beings face? A dove is a very peaceable, uh, sweet-sounding bird, pretty bird, and it can just fly away from trouble around it. Yes, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Think about that. Now, Micah 4 tells us here at the end to leave the cities, to get away from the heart, the center of Babylon, And to go out into the wilderness, to get away. So in a way, by giving us, imparting to us that knowledge, He has given us opportunity to fly away like a dove. Now there's still some connection here. There's not a total separation yet between us and the world. But we're far better off where we are today than we would be facing what's about to come down in the cities. So in part... We have been let out. 
I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest that is about to engulf the world and this nation. Destroy, O Eternal, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. He was speaking here specifically of Jerusalem and the strife and so on that he saw there. And Jerusalem is equated metaphorically to the church today, Hebrews 12. And we see strife and trouble within the church, the overall church of God, and even in our own little group, to one degree or another. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the middle of it. Wickedness is in the middle thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have some have borne it. Neither was it he, he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. If it was an outside enemy from somewhere else, it's one thing. But it was you, a man my equal, or my own rank, as the margin says, my guide and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. We are brothers here. We have come together in the house of God to accompany one another, to be part of the family of God. Trouble from without is one thing. But when we have dissension, division, accusation, bad attitudes within, that's an entirely different matter. You know, often families will squabble among themselves, but if an enemy comes from without accusing, they all rally together. It helps draw them together against the outside foe. And we as a family of God sometimes have our squabbles within. Now we have been attacked by Satan from without. And it should rally us together as brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers together to fight the enemy from without. If it's from within, it's far worse. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into the grave, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me... I will call upon God, and the Eternal shall save me. Now that is a true saying. You cannot change anyone but yourself. We see enemies from without, and sometimes we become enemies of ourselves from within. And you cannot change, no matter how hard you try, someone else. You can only change yourself. So you can only go and pray, God, change me, and quit trying to change anyone else. There are a lot of young ladies who have married some guy, and he wasn't quite perfect in their eyes. Well, maybe he was until they were married, but a month later, something had happened to him, or whatever. So she sees need for the rest of her life to try to reform this guy. And you know, it can be a frustrating proposition to try to change someone from what they are to what you want them to be. 
And there are men who have done the same with women. They married this one and suddenly they want her to be different than she is. Prettier, skinnier, smarter, harder working, whatever. You know, you're setting yourself up to a life of frustration if your goal and purpose in life is to change somebody else. Because you're going to have a great deal of futility. The biggest effect you can have is change yourself. And then maybe, just maybe, someone else will see that example and they too will say, I can do that. You can set an example and help change people, but you can't do it by berating them, by belittling them, by correcting them, by writing them, by nagging them, by putting them away, by accusing them, and all those human things we do. It's real easy to say the other person is the problem. Now, really... It takes two to tangle. There's two sides to every coin. And no one is perfectly right and someone else perfectly wrong. Most people in a marriage actually deserve each other. It is not that one is good and the other one's bad. Either direction. All have their faults and all have their failings. And we as a church, as a potential bride of Christ, are in the only relationship that is absolutely good on one side and the problems are all on the other side. And we're it. We're the problem. Not anybody else. So we have to take it personally. And that's what it says here. There may be problems within, but what can you do? You can only change yourself. As for me, I will call upon God, and the eternal shall save me. Now, that doesn't mean that you're rising in self-righteousness above the other and saying they're the problem. It means that you look at yourself and say, here's what part of the problem I am, and I can only change it and hope that God will save me. Save you from what? From yourself from your faults, from your problems, from your weaknesses, not from somebody else's. The minute we start accusing others, we have become satanic in attitude. Did I say that loud enough? Satan is the accuser of the brethren before the throne of God daily. And any time you accuse a brother you have a satanic attitude and are influenced by Satan and his demons. And we have all been there and done that. So let's take this seriously and turn to God and call upon Him and be saved from ourselves. Your enemies are not those in this congregation. Your enemy is yourself and Satan the devil. Everybody else is a brother or a sister called by God, known of God. Satan knows you. The demons know you. 
I think I've recited this before. I went up to a house one time on a letter that was three years old where someone had requested a visit down in, I think it was, yes, Palm Beach. I had not contacted these people by letter. There was no email. There were no cell phones. I'm old. I had not written them or called them or contacted them in any way. And when I knocked on the door, the door opened, and the person said, Oh, I know you. You're Daryl Henson from Ambassador College. Boy, did that send a shiver up and down my spine. Never had heard of me, but they knew me by name and where I was from. If you have the Spirit of God shining however brightly or dimly, Satan and his demons know you. They know you by name, and they don't like you. That's just the way it is. They are the princes of the power of the air. We must turn to God in whom only is their protection. They fear the name of the Creator God in heaven and His Son who did the creating. They don't fear you. They don't fear me. The only thing they fear is the Spirit of God in us. That they fear. Now, God does not give His Spirit in measure. We do not use His Spirit enough, and we tend to quench it, as I think I said last week. Let's not quench it. Let's let it flow through our minds and our hearts and be a bulwark and a strength against Satan. He says there in Peter, if you draw near to God, Satan will flee from you. He does not like to be around God. He does not like the Spirit of God. He does not like the people of God. If we are weak and ineffective and pitiful, He might take advantage of us. But if we are strong and powerful in faith and hope and the love of God, not only will He not want to deal with us or be around us, He will flee from us. He still, though, goes before our Father's throne in heaven and accuses us. Let us not be like He is. So when we have internal troubles, we need to turn to God and pray for forgiveness of ourselves and our salvation. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So this is not just a sleepy time, Betty by prayer. This is someone praying at the beginning of the day in the evening and in the morning and at noon. Daniel went before God three times a day, it says. The same is here. To prevail upon God in time of trouble and time of need, which we have right now. I do not want Satan in this place. I do not want Satan affecting you or me or any of us. And we must draw near to God to prevent it. Yeah, 
We can go through life expecting God to heal physical illness. We can throw, go, go through life expecting to maybe someday overcome this or that or the other thing. Or hope that somebody among us overcomes something. But when something comes from without, as we have been attacked recently, you're dealing with a whole different ballgame. And it's serious. And just maybe, the answer to the question I was asked is that God has allowed Satan to attack so that we might rally together in love and unite against a common enemy. Verse 18, He has delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abides of old. Think about that one. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. We have to change, and we have to fear God. And we have those who won't. And most of those are essentially the entire world who won't. Until God visits terrible death and destruction upon the earth. And only the few who serve him are going to escape that. He has put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Satan is very sly, very crafty, very subtle at times, and men are too. We had somebody come in very subtly, speaking the things of God and muttering things like, I'll follow in Herbert Armstrong's steps, blah, 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 and led most of the church right back into paganism and Protestantism. Sad but true. Are we going to allow Satan and human beings to do the same thing to us? When some speak accusing, they speak negatively, they rant, they rave, they blow off steam, they vent, or whatever word they want to use, at each other, they are playing into Satan's hands and having a satanic attitude. God forbid that should be here in any of us, any time. Let us fight. We have had those in this village in the past who accused, who were wanting to lead, who were wanting to change everything, who didn't like me or anything about me. Well, I'm one of them. I don't like me or much about me either. But God set me here to do a job. And with His help, do it I shall. I have tried to be very patient and merciful with bad attitudes. And eventually, in many cases, they took care of themselves and left. But I have a responsibility and a duty to protect the flock. And there is a balance between forgiveness and mercy and patience and protecting all of you. And now that Satan has come after one of us openly... I will rally 
and you will rally. We can give no place to Satan. We can try to be merciful and patient with people up to a point, unless their satanic attitudes are affecting people too much. But we can give Satan no quarter. We can give him no leverage. We can give him no patience. We can give him no acknowledgement. We can give him no obedience. We cannot listen to anything he says. We rebuke that and do not accept it. Verse 22, cast your burden upon the eternal and he shall sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. God is there as our rear guard, as our protector. We call upon him for that protection from Satan and from man. But you, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And God did allow David, as an example, to live out the 70 years, no more, no less, and die in his own bed. Chapter 56, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fights daily, or he fighting daily oppresses me. My enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O you Most High. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you, as Paul put it. Paraphrasing this right here. We don't need to worry. We do not need to be frightened. We need to turn to God. He is the one who protects and helps and strengthens. He is the one we cry out to who has power over man and Satan and is going to send his son to rule the earth with a rod of iron and bind Satan for a thousand years. We have one who can and will control all evil and put it out and put it away. Verse 4, In God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Every day they rest my words. They twist. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. People are plotting and planning and sniveling and arguing and complaining and accusing. Shall they escape by iniquity or through iniquity? In your anger, cast down the people, O God. You tell my wanderings, put you my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? So he's pleading. I'm praying, I'm crying out, I'm shedding tears of anger, or I mean of frustration, of misery. Please, Father, put my tears in a bottle. Save them up. Save them up. Don't hear just, don't see just one tear. Get a bottle full to remember my plight, my frustrations, my difficulties. Are they not in your book? He has a book of life. Our names are in it. And he wants our tears, our prayers, to go up as a sweet ointment to him and to be preserved in his book and in a bottle. When I cry to you, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. He knew the answer. When you have trouble, when you have enemies, 
You turn to God. Maybe you've been drifting along, not being as close to God as you need to be. But when trouble comes, we know what to do. For God is for me. And if God is for us, who can be against us? In God will I praise His Word. In the eternal will I praise His Word. Says it twice for emphasis. His words are true. The things we are reading right now are the answer to our problems. They are answer to problems from within and from without. Turn to God. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do to me. That's the kind of faith, the kind of trust, the kind of reliance we need to come have or come to have on Almighty God. So that no one can touch us. Your vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Will not you deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? The light of the living is the Spirit of God that must shine from all of us. He has given us His Spirit. We need to utilize it to draw near to Him, to overcome and to produce the fruit of the Spirit, not the work of the flesh. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. Yes, in the shadow of your wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Christ uh, spoke of himself as a hen with the little chicks, Israel, and how often he had clucked and tried to gather them under his wings, but they would not. They were independent-minded, and they were feasted upon by the cats and the dogs and the birds of prey. I will cry to God most high, and to God that performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Here, Selah is a different Hebrew word that was only used once in the Bible. Number 7602. It means to inhale eagerly, to hasten, to be angry. King James translates it, devour, haste, pant, snuff up, or swallow up. Here it was the only time that it was uh, translated Selah. But it's God will save me from those who would swallow me up. God shall send forth His mercy and His truth. He has been merciful in giving us His truth and revealing a lot of things that we did not know in Worldwide Church of God. We have a better understanding of many things today than we did. So He's given us that truth. And it is that truth that will set us free, if we can follow it. My soul is among lions. As Peter said, Satan is as a raging lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And we're among lions, the demons of the air and the people on the earth. And I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be you exalted, O God, above the heavens. You can't look to man, because man does have a false tongue, but you can look to God. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Think about that. What man does, he's trapped by. We cannot allow ourselves to be trapped 
by our own human nature and Satan. Verse 7, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. In other words, there's a commitment there. My heart is fixated on God and His ways and His truths. He is the only one who can save us. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. So we call upon God, as does Isaiah 52, 51, 49 through there. Awake, awake. The first one is for God to awake. It says the same thing here. But it says, I will awake early. And God does even say, if we will seek Him, and He says, you will seek me right early. He puts it in one of the prophecies. So we call for God to awake to our trouble, but then we have to shake ourselves awake. And that's the force of Isaiah 49 to 52. And then God shows through the sacrifice of Christ, deliverance comes, and Isaiah 54 then says that he will cause others to come in fulfillment of the book of Haggai and Zechariah, and will build a true temple of God in the glory that it's never so far reached in the history of mankind, both as a spiritual organism and perhaps even as a physical. Both will be there as a witness to the world. For thy mercy is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be you exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. He's the only answer. God is the only answer to the problems of mankind. And Satan is trying to drag us down by using our human nature against us, even as he did Adam and Edom, Adam and Edom, Adam and Eve so easily. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you? Do we indeed speak righteousness? Do you judge uprightly, O you sons of men? Are our judgments right? Are they condemning, putting down others? God has deemed each of us worthy of giving His Spirit and to be put in the process of becoming God. He loves each and every one of us with a very deep emotion and passion. And we're going against God when we do not show that same love one to another, or if we make exceptions for those that we dislike the most, or whatever. There can be no exception. we got to love each other the way God loves us. And we can't make that judgment of who He loves and who He doesn't. He is the one who did the calling. He called each and every one here for whatever His reasons. And you may not like this one or that one or the other one, but it's not your call. Do we get that? Do we understand that? Satan may know us all by name, but so does God. And he takes it further. He counts our hair. He ponders our thoughts. Just prior to coming to this service, I was thinking of what I would say about calling a fast what words ought to be uttered. And I think the demons knew it. Because probably as violent an episode as we've seen yet occurred with one of our little ones who 
has been as kind and gentle and as meek and as nice as anyone on this property, and we're not comparing ourselves, but this individual has been a sweet person, and yet violent and angry and cursing and swearing, reached a climax just before this service, and I was called down to lay hands on. Now, does Satan know when we are rallying against him? Does he know when we start seeking God? Does he react against it? Yes, he does. We're not playing games, brethren. We are here to draw together as the people of God and to love one another with all our hearts. Because that's how he says he judges our heart, is by how we love each other. By this shall men know that you are my disciples. Not by knowledge, not by prophecy, not by anything, but the love we show to each other as prospective brides of Christ. That's the bottom line. Now, where in the world was I? Verse 9 of 57, I will praise you, O Eternal, among the people. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. In other words, the earth is covered with the mercy and the love of God. So that he even sent his own son to die for each and every one of us. Anyone we criticize is someone God sent his son to save. So we had best be careful. He warns that if we look upon each other as foolish in the Sermon on the Mount, that it could cost us eternal life. Be you exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Let's go through 58 very quickly. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Yeah, I read this. We got down to here. Do you judge uprightly, O you sons of men? Yes, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. It says right from the very beginning, when we're born into this earth, we're selfish. We want our comfort. We want our way. We want fed. We want taken care of. We want changed. We want everything to go our way. And if anybody gets in our way, we scream at them to the top of our lungs. From the doctor that might paddle our buttocks to the one who brought us into this cold world. We start screaming the moment we're born. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stops her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. He says human nature is like a deaf snake. It doesn't hear the flute that's trying to charm it to come up out of the vase like they do in India. This, this is a deaf snake. Can't hear it. Human nature just goes its way and does its thing like there was no music. God produces the right kind of music that we need to hearken to. Verse 6, break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lion so eternal. Let them melt away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. 
That's what it's going to take for the evil to be squashed out of the world. The vanity, the ego, the selfishness, the murder, the lying, the cheating, the, everything that goes on on this earth. God is going to have to destroy over 90%, well over 90% of the population before man will be sufficiently repentant to begin to turn and seek God. Does that give us any clue as to the challenge it is for you and me right now without that kind of pressure to turn to God? And why he might allow Satan to be turned loose upon us a little bit to help us see what we need to do. As a snail which melts, let every one of them pass away. A snail in the sunshine just withers up, dries out, and dies. Like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Let the nations of the world, let the people be like a miscarriage. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. So, you can light a fire under a pot. God says before it gets hot enough, he's going to take us out of it. That's encouraging. You might feel the heat a little bit on the bottom of the pot, but God is going to take us out like he did Israel. He made a difference. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. The wicked will become ashes under the feet of the righteous. We will be able to be in a place of refuge and safety when all of this comes down. If we diligently obey God, He will take care of us and we'll be able to see the vengeance that He wreaks on this earth. So that a man shall say, Truly there is a reward for the righteous. Truly He is a God that judges in the earth. It's going to be quite a contrast between those who truly are seeking and serving God and their protection and the death, destruction, and decimation that occurs on the earth before us. And I say us because I want us to be there. I want us to do what we need to do to ensure that God will count us worthy to escape the horror that is about to come on this earth. And he says if we'll obey him, he will. So let's close with those words in verse 10. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance and shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. There is a reward for the righteous. He is a God that judges in the earth.